the government prepared to make an opening statement? Yes. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate, PFC William Santiago. They woke him up, tied his arms and legs with tape, and forced a rag into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction called lactic acidosis caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. These are the facts of the case, and they are undisputed. That's right. The story I've just told you is the exact same story you're going to hear from Lance Corporal Dawson, and it's the exact same story you're going to hear from Private Downey. Furthermore, the government will also demonstrate that the accused soaked the rag in poison and entered Santiago's room with motive and intent to kill. Now, Lieutenant Caffey is going to try and pull off a little magic act here. He's going to try a little misdirection. He's going to astonish you with stories of rituals and dazzle you with official-sounding terms like code red. He might even try to cut into a few officers for you. He'll have no evidence, mind you, none, but it's gonna be entertaining. And when we get to the end, all the magic in the world will not have been able to divert your attention from the fact that Willie Santiago is dead and Dawson and Downey killed him. These are the facts of the case, and they are undisputed. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from A uh, Few Good Men, my probably my single favorite movie ever, um, because every time you watch it, you pick up something new. And I think uh, all the way down from uh, facial expressions and pauses, the, the movie, I think, was directed masterfully by uh, one of my favorite Democrats, uh, Rob Reiner, I think he's a great director, and I think uh, Tom Cruise did a great job. I think Jack Nicholson and Kevin Bacon, I think it, I think it was an awesome movie. And I think we see, what, what we saw this week with the uh, impeachment hearings were a bunch of misdirection and a bunch of half-truths and a bunch of the half the story of everything. And I'm going to play a couple more clips from uh, A Few Good Men after we talk about the uh, the hearings. And I think, I mean, most most of you have probably seen it, 
because we've all seen it. I don't know if you've seen it more than once, but if you've only seen it once or twice, you haven't seen the whole movie and you should go back and watch it again and watch it without distractions. Don't let, don't be interrupted by, you know, your, your kids running in the room or anything like that. Hey, if, if something gets interrupted, pause it and go back to where you're paying full attention because there's a lot of details in this that we're living right now. We are absolutely living. And, uh, and I'll point out at the end, we all think Colonel Jessup is the, uh, is the villain. In reality, he's not really the villain. The doctor is, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And then uh, the the song I opened up was "Pressure" by Billy Joel, and uh, and I think if you haven't heard that song, go on go on YouTube and listen to it. If you don't have it in your iTunes, that's a that is a that is a a lesson that we should all teach all our kids. And I know that I had that's one of my one of my songs. Billy Joel's one of the guys that that I always had albums and cassettes and and my kids heard when they were growing up. But you know what? I taught my kids that life wasn't a wasn't a cakewalk. I taught my kids that hey, here's the here's the the price I had to pay to get to where I am today. You're not going to pay the same price, but you're going to pay a price because God won't give you what you can't handle. And he has to prepare you for this stuff. And, and you're going to pay your price, whatever that is. I don't want, I don't want anyone to go through some of the things I went, went through, certainly not my kids, but they're going to go through what they have to go through because that's how life is. You don't get to, you don't get the, the rewards without paying some of the price. So anyway, we're going to talk about all that and how it relates to what we saw in the past week. But first, let me introduce myself. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding, your home loan experts. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, you want to deal with someone who's who thinks like you. And if you're listening to this show, you probably think, think like me. Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. 2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone, you can go to edhoffman.net, go down to the Summit Funding logo and click click that. It'll take you to my lending page, or you can go to summitfunding.net forward slash Marino Valley, and you'll get our get our whole office website. Um, if you hear something, uh, and then when you get into that, hit apply now, and uh, give me how much information you want, and uh, tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates, uh, Eric Marquez, Cody Bradbury, Aaron Fredericks, or Brian Goodman. And we'll help you find the uh, missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If you're interested, if, uh, if you want to hear something repeated that I said on the show, or if you want to share it, you can get the podcast on edhoffman.net. On the podcast page, you can hear this show as well as, as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can uh, subscribe for free, have it download automatically to your uh, to your uh, your phone, your iPhone, your Droid, your uh, iPad, your iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, um, your computer, anything you can get podcasts on and you can uh, listen to it on demand and uh, it'll populate once a week as we upload the upload the new show you'll get it on your phone so anyway uh and lastly follow me on twitter at at uh at ed hoffman where i tweet about current events all week long if you're watching the the debate i was live tweeting through that sometimes i don't tweet because i'm just tied up in other stuff and i'm seeing the stuff and i just don't have time to 
sit at my phone and give you my opinion. So hence I have the main event and, uh, to get you all caught up. And, uh, also the Facebook page for the main event is, uh, the main event. Uh, it's facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. So anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on this week. This week, uh, America was subjected to three solid days of impeachment inquiry hearings with witnesses handpicked by the Democrats on the intelligence committee um, you know, you don't get the whole story. You don't get the whole story when you only get to see one side of one side of it. The difference between what happened in the previous four or five weeks when they were having behind closed doors and no one was allowed to leak anything except for Adam full of Schiff. Um, and he, he would, uh, selectively take out little pieces of testimony. This, this week we got to see, um, Devin Nunes and his intelligence committee Republicans question and, and ask the other questions that brought out more of the truth. Um, let's start with Tuesday morning witnesses, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman, director of European affairs at the national security council and Jennifer Williams, special advisor to vice president Pence on Europe and Russia. Um, two people that probably aren't qualified to really talk about stuff. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Vinman came in with a big attitude. At one point, he uh, at one point, Devin Nunes referred to him as Mr. Vinman. He said, "I I would I would appreciate being addressed as Lieutenant Colonel Vinman." Um, obviously had an attitude and was uh was playing the game against the Republicans because he's clearly on the wrong side. But here's some here's some of Williams' opening statement where she characterized the president's July 25th call with Z- Zelensky. President Zelensky of Ukraine as unusual, not extortion or bribery. Prior to July 25th, I had participated in roughly a dozen other presidential phone calls. During my closed door deposition, members of the committee asked about my personal views and whether I had any concerns about the July 25th call. As I testified then, I found the July 25th phone call unusual because in contrast to other presidential calls I had observed, It involved discussion of what appeared to be a domestic political matter. After the July 25th call, I provided an update in the vice president's daily briefing book, indicating that President Trump had a call that day with President Zelensky. A hard copy of the memorandum transcribing the call was also included in the book. I do not know whether the vice president reviewed my update or the transcript. I did not discuss the July 25th call with vice president, or any of my colleagues in the office of the vice president or the NSC. And understand these people that work in the vice president's office and a lot in the white house, um, are people that got out of college with a political science degree or something along those lines. And they're, they're working for free or some of them are being paid there. They weren't elected and they not necessarily the sharpest tools in the shed. They're just people that want to want to work. And I'm not saying she's not smart. I'm just saying that these are people that, not necessarily someone you'd you'd put in a in a position of trust. Now contrast Jennifer Williams' comment to Colonel Vinman's, and I think we may know who the whistleblower got his info from. On July twenty fifth, twenty nineteen, the call occurred. I listened on the in on the call in the situation room with White House colleagues. I was concerned by the call. What I heard was inappropriate, and I reported my concerns to Mr. Eisenberg. I want to emphasize to the committee that when I reported my concerns on July 10th relating to Ambassador Sondland and then July 25th relating to the president, I did so out of a sense of duty. I privately reported my concerns in official channels 
to the proper authority in the chain of command. My intent was to raise these concerns because they had significant national security implications for our country. I never thought that I'd be sitting here testifying in front of this committee and the American public about my actions. When I reported my concerns, my only thought was to act properly and to carry out my duty. National security concerns? What national security concerns? Isn't Trump's job to get rid of corruption? Uh, didn't he promise that? Promise to drain the swamp in his campaign? What did anybody think he meant by that? There's not really a literal swamp in Washington, D.C. It's a swamp of swamp rats and, and, and swamp animals that are dirty. A swamp is dirty. It's not a clean swimming pool. It's a dirty place, and there's a bunch of animals in there that are doing dirty stuff they shouldn't. Drain the swamp means expose corruption and get rid of the people that are corrupt. As he did last week, ranking uh, Republican Devin Nunes set the stage by asking witnesses if they were familiar with the details of what president wanted the Ukraine president to investigate. Did you know that financial records show a Ukrainian natural gas company, Burisma, routed more than $3 million to American accounts tied to Hunter Biden? No, that's not aware. Did you know of anti-Trump efforts by various Ukrainian government officials as well as Alexander Chalupa, a DNC consultant? I'm not aware of any, um, any, um, any of these interference efforts. Did you know about Deputy Assistant Secretary of State's Kent's concerns about potential conflict of interest with Hunter Biden sitting on the board of Burisma? Only, uh, the only thing I'm aware of is, uh, per pertains to his deposition. Uh, did you know that Burisma's American legal representatives met with Ukrainian officials just days after Vice President Biden forced the firing of the country's chief prosecutor? Again, sir, I was not working on Ukraine policy during that time. So yeah, I'm not, none of these are trick questions. I'm just trying to get through them. I understand. The yeah. Did you know that Burisma lawyers pressured the State Department in February 2016 after the raid and month before the firing of Shokin and that they invoked Hunter Biden's name as a reason to intervene? I was not aware. Did you know that Joe Biden called Ukrainian President Porchenko at least three times in February 2016? after the president and owner of Burisma's home was raided on February 2nd by the state prosecutor's office. Not at the time. Again, I've become aware of that through this proceeding. Thank you, Ms. Williams. You know what? The reason the Democrats don't like, don't like Donald Trump, um, because any, anyone else comes into, comes into office and they say, uh, and when they start finding out that all this dirty stuff goes on, they'd say, shh, just shut up and take the money. And Trump doesn't need money. Trump has lots of money. He came here to change to change our country. And if he wanted to have a cushy life, he wouldn't go into he just live his cushy life. He has a cushy life. He has lots of money, does what he wants. And he came into to to make his mark on our country uh, to to change it for the right reasons, to fix some wrongs. And uh, anybody else would have just said, shut up and you know, hey, shut up and take the money. Go, okay, okay, I'll just, I'll just go with the flow. And this is why they all hate him. But it sounds like, uh, but it sounds like Nunes is on to Vinman as the one who tipped off the whistleblower. Do you know of any individual who discussed the substance of the July 25th phone call or any matter associated with the call with any member of the press? We have an NSC press shop whose job is to uh, to engage on any of these types of questions. I'm not aware, but it, it is possible and likely that the press shop would have had would field these types of questions. 
Right, but the question After is, his, I'm sorry. You know, do you, the question is, do you know any individual? Do you personally know any individual who discussed the substance of the July 25th phone call or any matter associated with the call with any member of the press? Thank you, ranking member, for clarifying. I do not. So Nunes had to ask him that question about three or four times, and he kept saying, hey, we have the 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 press the press office that handles all this stuff. We have the press office that handles this stuff. He never listened to the question. And at some point, uh, Adam, Adam full of Schiff, I'm trying to remember some of the other nicknames for him, but uh, Adam Schiff, the the self self anointed uh, king of of uh, justice in America, is uh, self appointed. Um, he kept saying, oh, oh, stop, stop. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything. We're going to do everything we can to protect the identity of the whistleblower. And uh, you know what? And I liked what Trump said, said on Friday morning, he said, I don't think there is a whistleblower. I think it's a face, uh, a fake whistleblower because none of this stuff happened. So anyway, uh, so, and as he did last week, Republican counsel, Steve Castor asked the witness if they knew about the events that led to Ukrainian energy board appointment of a certain vice president's unqualified son. Testified that the U.S. along with the United Kingdom was engaged in, in trying to recoup about 23 million in taxpayer dollars uh, from Zochevsky and, and the Burisma entity. I understand he testified that, yes. Okay. okay. Um, and Mr. Ken also testified that the investigation was moving along and then all of a sudden there was a a bribe paid, and the investigation went away. Did, did you did you hear him mention that? I heard him mention that. Uh, these are these are events that occurred before my time. So, I, frankly, beyond what he said, I don't I don't know much more. Fair enough. Um, right around the time the bribe was paid, the company sought sought uh, to bolster their board. Are you aware that they they tap some luminaries for their corporate board? Uh, certainly, I learned that uh, at some point, yes. Uh, including the president of Poland, I believe? Yes. And um, Hunter Biden? Yes, I came to learn that as well. Yeah, it's amazing how the perception changes when you know the whole story behind everything. And, uh, you know, these people step forward. Uh, you know, they, they, stepped in, they stepped into a battle of wits unarmed. They didn't know all the facts. They had one little piece, and Schiff put them on the stand to testify about who we who we all voted to put in office. Uh, the fun continued Tuesday afternoon with two more witnesses, Kurt Volker, the former Ukraine special envoy, and Tim Morrison, the former White House national security aide. When questioning Volker, Steve Castor made some good points about, about the brief temporary hold that the White House put on the Ukraine on the aid to Ukraine. Despite what the Democrats what the Democrats want us to think, this wasn't a giant red flag to all presidents' advisors. Uh, Ambassador Volker, you testified uh, during your deposition that aid, in fact, does get held up from time to time for a whole assortment of reasons. Is that uh, your understanding? That is true. Um, and sometimes the the holdups are rooted in something at OMB, sometimes it's at the Defense Department, sometimes it's at the State Department, sometimes it's on the Hill, correct? That is correct. Um, and so when the aid was held up for 55 days um, for Ukraine, that didn't in and of itself uh, strike you as uncommon? No, it's something that had happened in my career in the past. Uh, I'd seen holdups of assistance. I just assumed it was part of the decision-making process. Somebody had an objection, and we had to overcome it. Okay. You know, we give billions and billions of dollars to other countries. Why do you think that is? Because, you know, it's not the government's money. It's our money. 
So if you're not one of those that pays no taxes or pays in four thousand and gets a five thousand dollar refund, if you're uh, if you're somebody who actually pays taxes, like I am, do you do you care how that money's spent? Because I give up damn near half of half of my paycheck uh, every month, and you know I like to know that hey, it's paying our military, it's paying our our police and our fire people and, and people that take care of this country and build the roads and do all that stuff. I don't want to know that it's just going to some other country to bribe people so they can, so they can pay the vice president's son money and he can, or they can, so they can uh, give it to some other country and they can uh, make big donations to the Clinton foundation. So Bill and Hillary can, can uh, pay it to themselves through another corporation. Uh, You know what? I don't want my money going there. If that's where it's going to go, let me keep it. I'll find something good to spend it on. And uh, it's just ama- it's amazing. We give these, this money to other people. What do you think we have in mind for that? Why do you think we do that? There's always something that we want in return. Outlining the timeline of events uh, related to the aid was Jim Jordan. And guess what happened? By the time AIDS, when AIDS frozen and when it's released, all kinds of interactions between President Zelensky and senior U.S. officials, right? Starts with the call. Starts with the call with President Trump and President Zelensky. Next day, you meet with President Zelensky in Ukraine. Then we have Ambassador Bolton meeting with him. Then we have Vice President Pence meeting with him. Then we have U.S. Senators Johnson and Murphy meeting with him. And guess what? In none of those meetings, not a single one, did security assistance dollars in exchange for an investigation, not once did they come up. Did that, did that conversation come up? Is that right? That is correct. Not once. Discussion of aid for investigations and, as you testified, you never believed aid for investigations was ever being talked about either in any of these conversations. That is correct. Yep, you would think that if that's what Trump wanted, he would have just told it to somebody else besides uh, these uh, these people on the on the uh, on the phone who said they know what he wanted. Alexander Vindman, the decorated colonel who swears he didn't leak anything about the phone call, his boss Tim Morrison seems to think differently. Um, well, during the deposition, I asked you, Mr. Morrison, whether others raised a concern that Mr. Uh, colonel Vindman may have leaked information. You, you, you did ask that, yes. Yeah, and your answer was? Others have represented that, yes. Okay. Um, and I asked you whether you were concerned Colonel Vimmon uh, did not keep you in the loop at all times w- w- with his official duties? Yes. Um, and in fact, when he went to the National Security Council lawyers following the July 25th call, he did not first come to you. Is that correct? Correct. And you were his um, supervisor in the chain of command, correct? Correct. And in hindsight, did you wish that he had come to you first before going to the lawyers? Yes. And uh, so now it's Wednesday morning and the European Union ambassador, Gordon Sondland, once a Trump mega donor, takes the stand. Remember, this is the witness who first testified in his deposition that the president told him no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Then he did a complete turnaround once the Democrats leaked his deposition to the media. And Jim Jordan held, held him accountable for it. You said to the president of the United States, what do you want from Ukraine? The president, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. I want Zelensky to do the right thing. I want him to do what he ran on. 
What do you run on, Mr. Or Ambassador Sondland? Transparency. And dealing with corruption, right? That's right. Mr. Castor raised another important point. Why didn't you put that statement in your opening statement? I think you said you couldn't fit it in. Is that right? So we might be here for 46 <laughs> minutes instead of 45 minutes. It wasn't minutes. purposeful, trust me. Wasn't purposeful? No. Couldn't fit it in a 23-page opener. The most important statement about the subject matter at hand, the President unites in a direct conversation with you about the issue at hand, and the President says, let me read it one more time. What do you want from Ukraine, Mr. President? I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. I want this new guy brand new guy in politics his party just took over i want Zelensky to do the right thing i want him to run on and do what he ran on which is deal with corruption and you can't find time to fit that in a 23 page opening statement you know what a quid pro quo is apparently he didn't apparently he didn't hey anyway i'm all out of time for part one of the main event stay tuned for uh, five minutes of commercials weather traffic sports and i'll be back with the other day and a half of testimony and don't forget the democrat debate And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. I don't talk a lot about uh, real estate and financing on the radio because uh, if you're not in the market, um, most of you probably think that's kind of boring. But if you are in the market, if you own real estate or you'd like to own real estate, um, interest rates are great. Uh, so it's if you want to refinance some property you have or if you want to finance some new property you wish you had, uh, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. 855-640-2020. Day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net, click on the uh, Summit Funding logo, and that'll take you to the you, – we can do it all over the computer. Also, if you're over 62 and you uh, are still wondering about that reverse mortgage thing everybody's talking about, you know what, if, if you have a misconception that this isn't a good deal and you have equity and you want to see if, if, if you want to learn more, this is a great deal. I will tell you, you talk to me and I'll explain it to you and you're going to have a hard time dealing with the, the lies that you heard, uh, the misconceptions, because I can't think of any time where it's not, where it isn't a good, where it isn't a good benefit. So, uh, 855-640-2020. Um, okay. So we are talking about. The uh, three days of of uh, impeachment hearings we heard. We got through uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, and Wednesday morning. Now we're in Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Laura Cooper, Pentagon official overseeing Ukraine policy, and David Hale, third-ranking official at State Department. They were boring. So let's talk about why advisors wanted Trump to talk about the Zelensky, uh, why they wanted to talk to Zelensky in the first place. As Kurt Volker testified, Wednesday morning, it was because Trump didn't trust Ukraine before Zelensky. Why? Because they also meddled in the 2016 election. But unlike Russia, their meddling was pro-Hillary, which, of course, Democrats are calling a conspiracy theory because they have no problem with it. They don't have any problem with, with, uh, with the Ukraine meddling in our election as long as it didn't help Trump. But, you know, they think Russia was all, was all uh, pro-Trump, when in fact we know now that you know they they were doing they were organizing anti-Trump rallies at the same time they were organizing anti-Hillary rallies and and they were they were not trying to push one candidate or the other they were trying to create division in our country and uh, what do we have now division 
I don't know that the Russians had to do anything to have that go on. I think the Democrats did enough. By uh, I think it's I think it's just there, and uh, you know Hillary was entitled to it, and we accidentally elected a guy who was an outsider. So um, it starts with Alexandra Chalupa, a person we keep hearing about, a Ukrainian, which the Republicans asked to as a requested as a uh, a witness to put on the stand, but uh, Alexander uh, Adam Schiff uh, turned that down. So uh, so she's a Ukrainian American. A DNC consultant who worked with the Ukrainians to bring down anyone they could in the Trump campaign. Most notably, Paul Manafort. Most of the Manafort-related documents on WikiLeaks belong to Alexander Chalupa. Here's how. Here's how we know this is a no. This is a no conspiracy theory. Chalupa herself told Politico that the Ukraine embassy was helpful in her efforts to get dirt on Manafort. A 29-year-old in the Ukrainian embassy, whose name I won't pronounce correctly, and Angelai, Angelai Telezenko uh, says he worked with Chalupa on this. And he confirmed direct coordination between the Democrat National Committee and Ukrainian government in the whole effort. The Democrats mis- mysteriously don't want Chalupa to testify, even though she's told the media would love to. Uh, would love to. Um, let me say that sentence again. And the Democrat, the Democrats mysteriously don't want Chalupa to testify, even though she told the media that she would love to. Hmm. But Devin Nunes says the Ukraine, the Ukrainian plot against Trump doesn't end with Chalupa. In 2016, Ukraine created fake documents about Trump, staged anti-Trump rallies and spread fake news on social media about Trump. Hmm. Sound familiar? And the thing that the Democrats have been unwilling to accept is that their operatives got campaign dirt from Ukrainians in the, t- in the 2016 election. Now, they know it. They know it's true because we have financial records that show it. So they were, the Democrats were heavily involved working with Ukrainians. So probably one of the more disturbing ones is the Ukraine internal affairs minister, Avakov, mocked and disparaged then-candidate Trump on Facebook and Twitter. Were you aware that Sergei Lyshenko, a Ukrainian parliamentarian, admitted that part of his motivation in spreading the information about the so-called Black Ledger, a disputed document purporting to reveal corruption by a former Trump campaign official, was to undermine the Trump candidacy? I wasn't aware. So you may be familiar that Black Ledger was used in the 2016 election to dirty up a campaign associate, uh, and later Mueller didn't use that as evidence in his report on election meddling. So knowing all these facts from high-ranking Ukrainian officials, Ambassador, probably makes a little more sense now as to why the president may think that there's problems with Ukraine and that Ukraine was out to, out to get him. Is that correct? I understand your, I understand your point, yes, Chairman. Yeah, you'd think if you knew the whole story, you would uh, you would you would interpret what you hear a little differently. But you know what? We don't know what Trump knows. We don't know what any president knows, and we should. And we don't have a right to know all that stuff. We don't need to. So now Thursday morning, it's the final day of testimony. Thursday's witnesses were Fiona Hill, former top Russia advisor to the Trump White House, and David Holmes, not David Hale like the day before, David Holmes, U.S. Embassy uh, in Ukraine official. His his testimony was fairly uneventful. Meanwhile, the British-born Fiona Hill was surprisingly 
a good defender of the president, saying she knew Ukraine was waging a campaign against Trump in 2016. That in fact, many officials from many countries, including Ukraine, bet on the wrong horse. They believed that uh, Secretary Clinton, uh, former Senator Clinton, former First Lady Clinton was going to win. And many said some pretty disparaging and hurtful things about President Trump. And I can't blame him for feeling aggrieved about them. And when uh, we were um, setting up head of state visits, and I remember I have a portfolio of 50 plus countries plus NATO and the European Union, we thought it prudent to collect as much as possible about comments that people might have said about the president during the campaign when he was either one of the candidates uh, to be the nominee for the Republican um, uh, Party or when he was actually the candidate running against Hillary Clinton. And I'm sorry to say that an awful lot, and perhaps I shouldn't name them here because it will have consequences, an awful lot of senior officials in many governments, including our allied governments, said some pretty hurtful things about the president. And I would also personally take offense at some of the things that were said if I were the president. Now, the difference here, however, is that that hasn't had any major impact on his feelings towards those countries. Not that I have seen. Wow. All these people were trying to buddy up to Hillary and say and put a bunch of uh, BS out on Trump because they thought Hillary was going to be president and they want to buddy up to her so she can get some they can get some favors from her. They all were saying stuff that they didn't know if it was true or false. And they were all spreading rumors and putting out dirt out there because they knew Hillary. They didn't really care what Hillary's background is. They only care about who's going to be in the White House. So we're going to have to buddy up to. So when we need help. And so they put it all out, and then Trump won. And, you know, most people would carry a grudge, but she says that he, he, all, he, didn't, use, uh, he didn't take any of that in the way that he tr- treated other, other countries once he came into office. You know what? What more do we want from a president? What more do we want? Hey, you know what? The, the heat of the battle gets fierce sometimes, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, hey, we dust each other off. Okay, it was a fierce battle. I won it. Now I'm not going to hold hold grudges against anybody. I'm going to go and be the president. I respect that. Maybe maybe not. It. Democrats obviously don't, but I do. I do. Another interesting thing about Fiona Hill, she seems to be the only witness we've ever heard from over the past three years who actually knows Christopher Steele, the author of the phony dossier that started the FISA the FISA uh, warrant and started the spying on the Trump campaign and started the Mueller investigation, all that stuff. Uh, you testified that you met with Christopher Steele in 2016. I assume that's still correct. That's correct, yes. And the only thing we didn't get on that is, uh, do you know about when that was in 2016 and how many times? I'm afraid I don't. I actually had met with him, well, you asked me actually in the deposition when the most recent time that I had met with him in 2016. Mm-hmm. And he retired from the British Intelligence Services in 2009, which is right. the same I'm time. I'm asking about 2016. Was, 2016, I don't recall, but I did meet with him sometimes before 2016. But you don't remember the date? I don't, I'm afraid, no. Okay. You stated in your deposition that a colleague had showed you the Steele dossier before it was published. Uh, who was that colleague? That was one of my colleagues at the Brookings Institution. And who, who was that? Uh, that was um, the Brookings Institution President Strobe Talbot, who had been sent a copy of this. And he shared it with you? That was the day before it was published in BuzzFeed. Thank you. You mentioned in your deposition also that you thought that it was a 
let's get the exact quote, that the dossier uh, was a rabbit hole. Is that still your testimony? That's correct. Do you, do you know who paid Christopher Steele to do, uh, to generate the Steele dossiers? There were several of them. At the time, I did not know. I understand from the media that it was uh, through GPS fusion, if that's not correct. Um, you yeah. know who was, and there was a law firm involved, but you know who the source of the money was? I didn't at the time. No, I did not. But do you well, know? Well, now I've read it in reports, and uh, thanks to your colleagues as well, that it was the, uh, the DNC, as I'm led to believe. And the Clinton campaign? I don't know that for sure. Okay. So this guy, Strobe Talbot, the president of the Brookings Institute, um, showed her a copy of the Steele dossier before it got published. How do you think he came to have the Steele dossier before it got published? Um, well, Strobe Talbot was a longtime uh, associate of, the, of Bill and Hillary Clinton. In fact, he was the Deputy Secretary of State uh, under President Bill Clinton from uh, 1994 till uh, he left office on January 19th in 2001, uh, when George Bush was uh was uh, sworn in the next day. So uh, George, that'd be George W. Bush, the, the junior. So you know what? The plot just keeps getting more interesting and more interesting and more interesting. Although this wasn't a closing statement, Chris Stewart of Utah turned his time into one and he nailed it. And I guess I'll just conclude by something I've said before. This Impeachapalooza tour finally comes to an end. I mean, a year of resistance, two and a half years of these absurd accusations against the president of Russian collusion. We've gone from quid pro quo to bribery to extortion. Seven weeks of hearings, 16 secret closed door sessions, 12 public hearings now of which you are the last. Hundreds of hours of testimony. And I really think that for those who hate the president, they haven't changed their minds. But there's a lot of Americans who look at this and they think, is that it? Really? You're going to impeach and remove a president for this? Now, like I said, if you don't like the president, you've already come to that conclusion. Many people wanted this three years ago. But for a lot of Americans, they really look at that and they, they can see this. No evidence, zero evidence of any bribery, zero evidence of extortion, zero evidence firsthand of any quid pro quo. And yet impeachment is almost inevitable. And why? Because the leadership of this committee has been unfair and dishonest. Yep, I have to. I can't I can't say that he wasn't right on the leadership of that committee is unfair and dishonest they're full of shift and uh speaking of the unfair and dishonest leadership of the committee adam saka schiff had a uh had quite a closing statement of his own clocking in in a full 20 minutes by the way here's the passionate conclusion notwithstanding what my colleague said i resisted going down this path for a long time but i will tell you why i could resist no more and it came down to this. It came down to, actually, it came down to timing. It came down to the fact that the day after Bob Mueller testified, the day after Bob Mueller testified that Donald Trump invited Russian interference, hey, Russia, if you're listening, come get Hillary's emails. And later that day, they tried to hack her server. The day after he testified that not only did Trump invite that interference, but that 
He welcomed the help in the campaign. They made full use of it. They lied about it. They obstructed the investigation into it. And all this is in his testimony and his report. The day after that, Donald Trump is back on the phone asking another nation to involve itself in another U.S. election. That says to me, this president believes he is above the law, beyond accountability. And in my view, there is nothing more dangerous than an unethical president who believes they are above the law. And I would just say to people watching here at home and around the world, in the words of my great colleague, we are better than that. Adjourned. This makes me want to throw up. You know what? Uh, Trump never invited anybody to do it when they were accusing WikiLeaks of hacking her, her server that she shouldn't have had. He said, hey, you know what? Maybe they can find the 33,000 uh, deleted emails. Hey, you know what they do? Go for, go for it. I'm sure people would like to see those. That wasn't saying, hey, go hack uh, Hillary's email. And you know what? Hackers will hack. They don't need anybody's permission. And it uh, seems to me Trump was a private citizen at that time. So he didn't have any official authority to let anybody do anything. It's just a, it's just a, a, a smokescreen. Because, you know, everything that the Democrats accused Trump of doing, they're doing. We're not, we're not investigating Biden for doing exactly what they're suggesting that, that maybe Trump meant in a comment that, you know, he took $1.6 billion of our money and, and held host, held it hostage for them to get their, uh, attorney general or their, their, uh, their head prosecutor off of his son's company, our money, my conclusion my conclusion is, is what do we really want out of our president? You know, we, we want, we want, we want the president to get to the, do the same thing that we want out of our, our governors and our Congress people and our senators and to be transparent and honest. You know, how do we want our taxpayer money to be handled, handled and, and watched over to just let them skim the top and, and, and do whatever they want with it. Let me, uh, let me, uh, let me conclude this part of the show with a couple of uh, clips from a few good men. This is this is a, a clip how I think Trump should tell everybody about what he's doing because we don't know what he knows. None of the witnesses know what he knows. None of the Congress people know what he knows. And we don't have a right to know it and we don't need to know it. Here's how Trump should just react to everybody. You want to ask me about code reds on the record, I tell you I discourage the practice in accordance with the commander's directive. Off the record, I tell you it is an invaluable part of close infantry training. And if it happens to go on without my knowledge, so be it. I run my unit how I run my unit. You want to investigate me, roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who are trained to kill me, so don't think for one second that you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. You know what? The, the president knows what we don't know. I don't want to know what he knows. I want him to know everything, and I want him to make decisions based on what's best for our country. I want him to watch over our tax money like it's his money, like it's his company money, which none of these uh, politicians have any kind of experience in because they've never run a business. 
And you know, when you're in business, you make prudent decisions about what you spend your money on and who you give it to. And you don't give it to corrupt people because they're going to funnel it back to your son or to your, uh, or your, uh, your charitable, uh, foundation. And you're going to steal it. Think about all the people that, that the Clintons, uh, uh, stole their money when they said, text this number and you'll give $10 to the people in Haiti and, and gazillions of dollars went in there and Haiti never saw it. We didn't think that's a problem. I don't know. So, uh, you know, here, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play this, this last clip from a few good men. This is a clip you've all heard a million times before. I want you to listen to the words, listen to the words and think about what, what, uh, what Jack Nicholson is saying here as if he's Trump. He, we don't know what he knows. We just want him to protect us. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. And you know you've seen you've seen that that movie before over and over hopefully if you're if you watch movies like I do and you at the end you say who's the villain in this thing Colonel Jessup Colonel Jessup isn't the villain he trains marines to be fighting machines and how we want them to be fighting machines this is how he trains them the villain in this movie is the doctor who missed the fact that this kid had a heart uh, a heart condition that he couldn't handle that kind of training. So anyway, let's go on. So uh, if 30 hours of testimony wasn't enough to subject the American people to this week, Democrats held a debate on Wednesday night in Atlanta. It was the single most boring uh, two hours I've ever sat through. It's been five weeks since the last debate, so you'd think the candidates would be energized. Not so much. Here's Joe Biden saying his way of working with Republicans is simply to get more Democrats elected. Vice President Biden, you suggested in your campaign that if you defeat President Trump, Republicans will start working with Democrats again. But right now, Republicans in Congress, including some of whom you've worked with for decades, are demanding investigations not only of you, but also of your son. How would you get those same Republicans to work with you? Well, look, the next president of the United States can have to do do two things. Defeat Donald Trump. That's number one. And number two, it's going to have to make be, be able to go into states like Georgia and North Carolina and other places and get a Senate majority. That's what I'll do. Yeah, that's what he'll do. He's gonna. He's just gonna not deal, deal with Republicans. He's gonna help Republicans. He's gonna help uh, Democrats win. 
uh, amazing. And if you watch Biden, he couldn't put a whole sentence together. You look like he was, he looked like he's concentrating really hard to make sure he doesn't trip over his words. This guy cannot be president. Meanwhile, angry vice principal Kamala Harris, for some reason, wasting what little time she had attacking Tulsi Gabbard. That um, it, it's unfortunate that we have someone on the stage who is attempting to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States, who during the Obama administration spent four years full time on Fox News criticizing President Obama, That's who has spent full time, time criticizing people on this stage as affiliated with the Democratic Party when Donald Trump was elected, not even sworn in buddied up to Steve Bannon to get a meeting with Donald Trump in the Trump Tower, fails to call a war criminal by what he is as a war criminal, and then spends full time during the course of this campaign, again, criticizing the Democratic Party. What we need on the stage on, in November is someone who has the ability to win. And by that, we need someone on that stage who has the ability to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump and someone who has the ability to rebuild the Obama coalition and bring the party and the nation together. I believe I am that candidate. Yeah, I will say Tulsi Gabbard sounds more like a Republican than a Democrat if you watched her her speak, but she's far from uh, being equal to... uh, to Trump. Um, I'll end with one more clip. There's a, there was a theme that night, uh, all the way through making sure poor people have, uh, people get to have nice things and like abortions and, uh, marijuana. When someone makes abortion illegal in America, rich women will still get abortions. It's just going to fall hard on poor women. It's going to fall hard on girls, women who don't even know that they're pregnant because they have been molested by an uncle. I, I have a lot of respect uh, for, for the vice president. He has swore me into my office as a hero. This week I hear him literally say that I don't think we should legalize marijuana. I, 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 I thought you might have been high when you said it. <laughs> and, and, is already legal for privileged people. It's amazing. These people think they can be the president of the United States. These guys aren't serious. They just are idiots. Anyway, I'm a lot of time for uh, this episode of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 1-8-4-1-7-8-2. Summit Funding Incorporated, NMLS ID number 3199. Arizona license number 0925837. Equal housing opportunity.